parts of this church, but what he's going to bring this morning. We thank you, Lord, uh, that he can breathe in your word and then breathe out into this congregation for us to hear your word, Lord. I thank you that you've chosen him as a, um, as a, as a vector, if you like, for us to, to learn more. So, Lord, will you help us to put down the things of the week, the things of this morning? Will you help us to clear our, our physical minds? Will you help us to open up our spiritual hearts, Lord, to listen and to be changed by what it is you want us to hear this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. break into some kind of Michael Bublé number. <laughs> Going to move that a little bit. Yeah, I don't think I can quite compete there. Let's see if this I'm on this end. I'll just keep talking and we'll adjust the sound. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to have the time together, isn't it, to, to pray, um, to, to listen, to... To, to work out what God wants to say to us this morning. It's always a good time, uh, this preach time, just to open your hearts and allow the Lord just to lead us into a new place together. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted that Amigo are in. Good to see you. I feel rather honoured that you come and sit through my preach. Um, I hope it's all right for you guys. And I, I believe it will connect with you a lot because we're looking at just something that's very central to what life and faith is all doesn't matter really whether you're a small child or whether it's just in case it's that I'm just going to move it's not that it's not that I'll leave that there shall I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter whether you're a small child or, or you've been a Christian for a hundred years what we're talking about today we're going to look at prayer and what it is um, so it should be helpful for everyone I hope now we are speaking as part of a series, as Matt's already shared with us, and the series is called Building on the Rock, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and so we're going to read together our passage. We've got to the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, we're now in the middle of chapter 6, because it runs from 5 to 7, and it's when Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to pray. Familiar words. I'm going to read it in my NLT. Um, it just sounds a little bit different this way. It freshens it up a bit. So let's read it together. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That is the Lord's Prayer. We probably don't need our Bibles really, do we? Because we all know it. In fact, that's probably one of the most famous bits of the whole of the Bible. People have said this prayer for 2,000 years, and they've taught it in schools. 
This prayer is known probably in every language under the sun. Um, it is, it is the, the heart of what people who don't even know what Christianity is all about would say that this is what we do. This is what we pray. This is who we are, if you like. This is a, one of those prayers that kind of gives us our identity as who we are as Christians. But it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. I believe that this is a bit of a window into Jesus' prayer life. In two places in Scripture, in this place and in John 17, you see a, a glimpse into the kind of prayer that Jesus prays. You see what's on his heart. In John 17, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's pouring out his heart to God just before he goes to the cross. And so you get to sort of sit there and listen as there's this conversation that's going on between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like listening into the Godhead and knowing how they interact. What is shared amongst them uh, is our one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, one God, three persons. And you get to hear this community life of God in John chapter 17. And here... In our passage as well, in Matthew chapter 6, we're seeing something of how Jesus prays. In the parallel passage in Luke, in Luke chapter 11, you, you see that there are people that are observing Jesus coming out of the place of prayer. And there's something about Jesus when he's coming out of the place of prayer that is just so inspirational. They come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. I don't know if they've overheard him. I don't know if they've been sat at a distance just listening to Jesus pray and think, I just would love to pray like that. Or whether he's come down from the mountain and he's just so full of life. He's so full of purpose. He's so full of the presence of the Father that there's something so strong and powerful upon him when he comes out of prayer that they just say, whatever it is you've been doing, I want some of that. I want to do that. I want to learn how to... To live like you live. I want to learn how to pray to the Father like you pray. But something upon him has arrested them. And they come to him. And they even use John the Baptist. And they say, you know how John teaches his disciples to pray? Jesus, would you teach us to pray like you pray? And in response to that request, Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He gives them the same prayer. So when people ask Jesus how to pray, this is the same kind of five points that he gives to them. Two points at the beginning express Jesus' massive passion, what his life is all about. What is the deepest cry of his heart? And then there are three great human needs that Jesus prays into. Two things which are his passion. Three things which are the most important. They are the real human needs that throb within our hearts. And Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. How many people find prayer is always effortless? Put your hand up. Seasons of it, maybe. Times of it, yeah. Sometimes it's harder. 
How many people find it's easy to find time to pray? Put your hands up. So there's some people here that find it easy. That's good. That's about half of you. Some people find it difficult to find time to pray. I find it difficult to time, find time to pray. And I'm the vicar. <laughs> but I do, and I, I have to make it happen. Otherwise, time gets squeezed, you see. It's about the activity of, of my day and how much I've got to do. And it's also about the season of my life and all sorts of other things and how small my kids are. But <clears throat> it's hard sometimes. How many of you have known in your prayer life that it's gone in a, either a sort of cyclical way where you sort of come back to the same things and then you go on and you learn other things and you come back to the same things or that it's sometimes a little bit up and down where there's kind of mountaintop experiences of prayer uh, and it's amazing to pray and you're just hanging out with God and it's the most wonderful time ever it's easy to pray and you feel like every prayer you pray is moving the mountains and it's all wonderful and then sometimes it's more like desperately clinging on to God and it feels a bit distant but you're just plodding on. That's prayer. That is the story of the Christian life. That is the story of faith with God. And it's the same for all of us. You know, we often start on a high as we first become believers and we realise that we can pray to this God and so the Holy Spirit comes and you realise that there is this two-way conversation happening and it's wonderful. It's like falling in love. It's a wonderful thing. And then a little bit further down the road, you hit your first wall where you think, I'm not quite sure where God is anymore. I'm plagued with doubts. I'm not sure what this is all about. And when I pray, it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know if they are or not. And you have to come through that kind of dry patch before you then come out the other side. And there are things that God teaches us in the dry patch, isn't there? Prayer is, is an extraordinary experience over a whole lifetime. And I believe it's under real pressure. It's always under attack. It's always difficult to pray um, when the enemy is having a go at us. The enemy loves to shut down prayer because prayer is the most important thing we can do. Everything in your Christian life is won and lost in the place of prayer. That's a big thing to say, but it's true. Prayer is about communion. It's about me walking humbly with my God. It's about me and the Lord sharing eternal life together. It's about who I am before God. It's about who God is over my life. It's about the purpose of my life. It's about God being able to get involved in my life and to flow through me into my other relationships and to touch the people around me and to influence my environment. It's everything. It is the essence of what we will be doing for all eternity. Communion with God and conversation with God. Prayer is so very, very simple, yet so very, very profound. It is right now, it is immediate. Even as we're having our conversations, we can be kind of praying as we go, yet at the same time, it's eternal. It stretches out. It never, it never ever finishes. It is a profound mystery, yet it is something familiar. There are so many paradoxes around prayer. But what it is, is incredibly important. And so we need to learn how to be taught to pray as Jesus would have us pray. And he's already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount how not to pray. I think Fraser touched in on those things last week when I was away. He says, don't stand up 
and look to impress other people with your prayers. Remember that bit? The Pharisees loved to stand on the street corners and they loved to impress everybody with their prayers. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, their reward is, has been met in full. They've had their reward. The kudos that comes from people saying, what a wonderful prayer. You must know God really well and look at your theology, which I've picked up through your praying. You must be a wonderful person. The glory comes to me. Everyone thinks, I'm marvellous for praying in this way. I have my reward. Jesus says, God is not interested in those prayers. God's not impressed. And if we're honest, we may have all felt that pressure to pray an impressive prayer. At some point in home group, in my job, it's, it's a real danger. Because I have to stand up and play, pray publicly all the time. And what happens is, is, is you, can be, you can feel like you've got to pray with power. You've got to pray impressively. Otherwise, people won't pray with you. And actually, what is needed is just to pray truthfully. Pray, pray from the heart. Pray with what you see. But it's so easy just to analyse your own prayers. Who's analysed their own prayers and found them wanting? <laughs> <coughs> when we take our baby steps of praying out loud in home group or with a friend, you, we can feel so silly. And we can pray a prayer and think, oh, they're going to think I'm a right wally after praying that. But it was what was on your heart at the time. I've, had, I've listened to people's prayers and just been so impressed with, with, with people and thinking, I'd love to have a prayer life like that, or I'd love to take that kind of authority in prayer. I've heard, of, heard some Africans praying in the past. John Malindi is one of them. I don't know who heard John Malindi. An amazing Ugandan pastor. Those guys know how to pray. Um, but he spends his life dedicated as an intercessor. So prayer is very, very central to his ministry. And he's learned how to, to pray in certain ways in partnership with the Holy Spirit, which is just very, very powerful. Now, I remember the first time I heard John Melindy pray, I thought, oh, I'd love to be able to pray like that. I think I even started to borrow some of his mannerisms and things because I just thought, I want to learn to do what you do. Because <laughs> I'm quite bad like that. I pick up accents and stuff really quickly. And I, I, I caught myself. I thought, well, stop it. Pray like Abe. Don't pray like John Melindy. <laughs> But sometimes when you hear prayer, and it's authentic prayer, whether it's the first whispered prayer of a new baby Christian, where it just melts the heart, or whether it's a prayer veteran, a warrior, that is watching transformation in the nation through gathering people to pray and praying with one voice, prayer can be very impressive. But we've always got to watch ourselves that we're not trying to impress others with our prayer. We'll pray horizontal prayers. Because God says, I know what you're doing, and I'm not interested. It's not a way to pray effectively. So Jesus first flags that up. Don't do that, he said. Don't do those horizontal prayers. I don't like them. The Father doesn't like them. And then he also says, don't babble like the pagans. Well, there's all sorts of ways we might be able to interpret that. But Jesus is basically saying, it's not about the volume of your prayers. It's not about how many times you say your prayers. You know, there are other religions that base the, the benefit that they will receive from heaven or from their deity, that the return that they're going to get is based on the number of prayers they can pray. 
So you get things like in Tibetan Buddhism, you get prayer flags, and they'll write their prayers on the prayer flags, they put them in high places where they'll flap in the wind, and every time that thing flaps, that's a prayer. And if you write it on there ten times, every time it flaps, it's like times ten. So the, prayers, the, the flag is doing the praying for you. And you also get prayer wheels, where prayers are written out on these wheels, and if you spin them, and it spins ten times, you've prayed ten times, but if you write that prayer out on that wheel ten times, you spin it, that's a hundred prayers! You're doing well. And so you can go to the temple and, and, and spin the wheels, and that's your prayer dance for the day. Repetitive prayers. Doing lots of it. Have you ever felt guilty because you're not praying enough? Come on, you must have felt guilty you're not praying enough. And for those of us who, who are praying out of a relationship with God, often that's what we really need, is I'm not spending enough time relating to God. I, don't, I feel a little bit distant from God. But sometimes there's another thing where you think, I should be praying about this thing and praying about it often. And if I don't pray about it often, then I'm not going to get the reward. And there is something about asking, seeking, knocking. There is something about persisting in prayer, and I'm not knocking that. That is really important. And when God says, pray like that, pray like it. <laughs> but when we get a nebulous feeling of guilt that we're just not praying enough, Jesus is saying, it's not about repetition. It's not about babbling. It's not about just, I feel like I have to pray for 20 minutes, so I'm just going to pray. That's not what prayer is about either. Prayer is something else. It is unique to Christianity, the kind of prayer that Jesus leads us into. But before I go into the Lord's Prayer properly, there's a really brilliant Old Testament example about how not to pray. This, do you, does anyone remember that story with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on the summit of Mount Carmel? And there's this like showdown between the man of God and the prophets of Baal. And uh, it, God has said to Elijah, right, I want you to set up this competition on the summit of Mount Carmel, right? You've got the prophets of Baal here, and then you've got you who are representing me and relationship with me here. Who is the true God? How should we be relating to God as a nation? Set it up. So they do. And of course, the, the, the king and the prophets of Baal say, yeah, we're up for that. We're going to prove ourselves. So they go to the top of the mountain and they each prepare an altar. First, the prophets of Baal prepare their altar. They put all the sticks and everything on the altar ready to burn. And then they put their bull on the altar. And they start calling down fire from heaven. And what do they do? They dance around all day, chanting and repeating themselves and babbling, essentially, calling on their God. And then they start slashing themselves to, for a bit of self-sacrifice, you know, self-flagellation, saying, I'm going to go through it so that, you know, you know I'm really serious, God. And they think they're going to manipulate their God to be able to send down fire on this offering. And all the while, Elijah's there, just kind of playing with his nails, saying, do you think you should shout a bit louder? Perhaps your God is asleep. He's kind of making fun of them a bit because he knows how ridiculous it is. Because you can't manipulate God. You can't make God do anything. God is who he is and he will do what he jolly well wants to do. And so Elijah's sitting there knowing already what God wants to do because he's heard it from God because he has a living relationship with God and God has said, this is what I want you to do, Elijah. And Elijah trusts him. So he's able just to kick back and he knows what's going on. And then it becomes Elijah's turn. So Elijah builds his little altar and he prepares the sticks and he does the whole butchering thing and puts the, 
the bull on the altar. And then he says, right, you look like you're strong enough. Why don't you go and fetch a load of water and pour it on my offering? Really? Yeah, go on, go and pour it on the offering. So he goes and pours it, and then he digs a ditch. And he says, right, pour it in the ditch. Fill up the ditch, fill up the whole offering. I want this saturated with water. Because he knows. I don't know, I don't know what God thought of this. God might have said, hang on a minute. <laughs> I don't know. He might have just said, that guy, trust me. That I can do that as well, even when it's wet. It might have been that God says, look, just to prove a point, make it wet. I don't know how that worked. But what I do know is that the relationship and the trust was there. And so just like a child of God playing around with this, even though there's a nation's fate, a nation's future hanging on this thing, he's just playing around with it, basically. And then he says, right. And he stands and he calls upon God. God sends fire down from heaven. The whole thing's consumed. The nation transforms. He then runs away terrified, but the nation (laughs) is transformed. And for me, that's an illustration about what prayer is, about what it is to have a living relationship with God. One of them was complex. It had its rituals. It was based on ritual. It was based on chanting. It was based on saying all the right stuff. Have you ever felt that I'm just not breaking through in prayer because I haven't said the right concoction of words yet? Have you ever been faced with praying for someone for healing and you think, if only I knew the exact scripture to apply here, I think this person would be healed. But because I don't know the exact incantation, I don't think they're going to be healed today. Has anyone felt like that? I felt like that. At those times, we have to move those thoughts away from our minds because it's not what Christian prayer is about. It's never about vain repetition or getting the right formula of words. That's something quite pagan, actually. And Jesus said, don't babble like the pagans. They, they, they pray and they babble all day long because they think that by their many words they will be heard and that God will answer their prayers. Jesus said it's not to be that way with you. So don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the pagans. I want you to pray like this. And we see a window into how Jesus prays. And how Jesus prays is he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It starts with Father. It starts with knowing who God is. Every single part of your prayer life should be informed by the fact that you have a God who loves you, who made you, who wants to provide for your needs. Who knows what you're thinking even before you ask him. He knows you better than you know yourself. And every part of Jesus' prayer life was coloured by the trust relationship with the Father. Who he was, his identity, was forged by his relationship to the Father. So when he prays, (coughs) first thing he's reminding himself, I've got a good Father who is in heaven. And when it says who is in heaven, it's kind of, it can be translated as over the heavens. So before we even approach prayer, let's remember we are praying to a God with whom we have favour, who knows you just as you are, knows all the bad stuff you've done and the things you think. He also knows all the good stuff you've done and the good things you think. He knows your good intentions. He knows the sweetness of your character. He loves you anyway. He just wants the very best for you. When you come to prayer, don't come out of duty. Don't come because you think you have to. Come when you approach prayer, 
the first thing let's be thinking about, like Jesus does, pray like this, I have a father and he's over everything. He is the creator. And he doesn't say my father either. Interesting, he says our father. He takes his place with the whole of creation <coughs> and he says our father. Father is the father of everything. That means he cares about everything you can possibly pray about. Because everything you're praying about is part of your experience. It's part, you're part of, part of the created order. You're part of his purposes. But you are praying from a position of a human being here on earth with rea our reality, touching into his reality, but saying, God, I stand in solidarity with everything else and I'm praying to you who cares about everything I can possibly pray about. God cares. He's a great dad. So we pray. Our Father, who is over the heavens, he has authority over all things. Let's remember those two things as we come to prayer. That he is the Father, he is faithful, you can trust him, and he is over everything. He can do anything. He has the power over everything. That changes how you pray, doesn't it? If you're feeling faithless. And then he says, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? This is the great passion of Jesus' life. More than anything, he wants the Father to be loved by everything in creation. He wants everything in creation to respond to Father and to know him and to love him and to honour him and to celebrate him, enjoy him in the same way that he does. Is that your prayer? One day, the whole of creation will respond to God in, in an appropriate way. Loving him, rejoicing in him, seeing all the good things he does. And they'll respond with worship. They'll respond. We will all together respond with a wonderful love of God. And that's Jesus' heart. That's what he wants more than anything else. And it's a good thing for us to remember. If your prayer life is nothing more than seeing something new every day that makes you rejoice in who Father is, who God is, something that touches you from the Word or from nature, and you just pause for a moment and you say, God, you are wonderful. That is a healthy and good, vibrant prayer life. If you do that every day, there can be any number of things that can just catch our eye and just cause us to worship, cause us to draw near to God and say, do you know what, God, you are wonderful. And it might be different for all of us. For me, it can be nature. Definitely in nature, when I see things, and even just the buds forming at moments, pregnant with life, ready to burst forth. And I, I just, just one bud and just picking it and looking at it and then sort of seeing the layers in it. For me, I can say, God, you are wonderful. Look at that. That's an amazing thing. And that touches my heart. It can be an answer to prayer where you've said a, a, a fleeting prayer and in some miraculous way, God has just answered that prayer and something's hit your heart to say, see, I know about that. And it can cause your heart to miss a beat and you can say, Lord, you are wonderful. You know my needs. You know what, I, what I'm about. It doesn't matter what it is, really. Make it part of your prayer life. Uh, when I first became a believer, somebody who was a, a, an actual disciple at 17, rather than sort of sharing inherited faith, if you like, for the first 
about two and a half years, I didn't really, I had a mental block about the Bible. I couldn't read the Bible. I convinced myself I couldn't read the Bible. I thought I'd never get anything out of it. The language is too complicated. I was, now I didn't like reading anyway, um, but the Bible was particularly tricky. So I told myself I can't really do the Bible. So I, I didn't really read it for the first year and a half, two years of being a believer. More than that. Yeah, two and a half years or something. <coughs> so all I did was walk a lot and chat to God a lot. And I made up sort of poetry to the Lord in my better moments when I was out there and I was just so taken by the goodness of God and about his love for me and about everything that he provided. And I had this amazing river walk between where I lived and the town that I did most of my stuff in, my school and, and my friends and the pub and all sorts of things were in the town. So I used to walk this river walk, which was about three miles. And I could have gone on my bike or borrowed the car, but I always used to choose to walk because I loved that walking time is when I chat to God. And I used to make up little poems, and I haven't written them down. They were appalling, by the way, but I believe God loved them. <laughs> he enjoyed the expressions of my heart. But in that time, I prayed about all sorts of things. I saw the most amazing answers to prayer during that time. And all I was really doing was enjoying the Father, relating to God. In fact, my understanding of Jesus came later. I kind of knew what Jesus had done for me, and I was thankful for what Jesus had done for me. But until I got into the scriptures, I couldn't work out who this Jesus was, really. That he was the exact representation of the Father. He was this person, a, a real person that I could begin to relate to, and I could talk to him about what I read in the scriptures. But I related to the Father heart of God primarily for the first two and a half years, and my prayer life was vibrant. <coughs> Extraordinary. The basis of our prayer lives is relationship with Father. If you do nothing else, just come to the Lord every day, the Father heart of God, and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you give me. Thank you for my health. Thank you for all the good things that you see in your life. It can actually simplify prayer right down. If you're struggling in prayer, start there. Start with just seeking one thing every day to turn to God about and say, God, you are wonderful. Hallowed be your name. It's a wonderful thing. We don't want anyone to miss that. Jesus didn't want anyone to miss that. That was what he prayed about more than anything else. He said, Lord, let nobody ignore you. Let nobody be able to pass you by. Let nobody be profane your name. Let nobody destroy your kids. Let nobody dishonor you. But let everybody see what an amazing God you are. Because in the name, it was more than just a a title in Jewish culture, it, in the name was all the identity of the person. So it was more, let them all know what you're like, God. Let them know how you live. Let them know the beauty of your life. This was Jesus' prayer. He wanted everyone to know. He wanted everyone to be where he was, enjoying the abundance of life, which can only come through connection with God. That is the beginning of prayer. That is what prayer is all about, and it's different from any other kind of prayer of any other kind of religion. Do you know that? We don't have to pray for five times every day. We don't have to say set words. We don't have to measure, am I, is my prayer going to outweigh the bad stuff in my life so that I have favour with God and get to heaven? We have a gracious Father, and it begins with relationship with Him. It is unique to the Christian faith.
even the, his Jewish hearers couldn't quite understand what he was talking about. Because it's only, you only come to the Father through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that came to show us how to relate to Father in this way. And this is our greatest privilege. We are the most privileged people on the planet. The most treasured and the most important and the most blessed thing you can do is spend time in the presence of God. The only problem is, is there are other places we insist on being sometimes. But Jesus says, come back to simple prayer. Simple relational prayer. So he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that was his great love. That was his great passion. And then he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come. That was his great agenda. That was the aim of his life, was to see that the kingdom would come. There's a wonderful expression of the kingdom in this book, which I recommend. You can come and have a look afterwards if you like. It's by Jose Pagola, and it's Jesus, an historical approximation. It's just talking about who Jesus is in his own time. It's a brilliant book. But he says this, your kingdom come. This is the passion of Jesus' life, his ultimate goal. He is saying, let the path of your reign be opened among us. Let the seed of your saving power continue growing. Let the yeast of your reign ferment everything. Let your good news come now to the poor and the abused. May the suffering feel your healing action. Fill the world with your justice and your truth with your compassion, with your forgiveness. If you reign, the rich will no longer reign over the poor. The powerful will no longer abuse the weak. Men will no longer dominate women. If you reign, no Caesar will be given what is yours. No one will serve wealth along with you. It's the reign of God, the inbreaking reign of God. It says in the letters, it says... The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus wanted to see. That has got to be in our prayer life. We move on from loving the Father, in telling him who he is, enjoying who he is over our life, to saying, now Lord, you have plans and purposes. You have a will to be done in my life and in the world around me. Help me to partner with your agenda. Jesus spent time at the mountain praying, let your kingdom come, let your kingdom come, let your kingdom come. And of course we saw, as we read the Gospels, we see that the kingdom is expressed in the most extraordinary way. And Jesus was praying, let your kingdom come. There is no coincidence that he's telling us to pray let your kingdom come and he's, he's demonstrating what it looks like for the kingdom to come all around him. This is his prayer life. If this is his prayer life, how much more does it need to be ours? Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom, let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. I want to know your agenda. Not just, just mine, not just my list of things, which is important and we're going to come on to that. But I want to know your agenda, first and foremost. I want to shape what's important to me after what is important to you. So that's where he goes next. Those are the two great passions of Jesus' life. Father be honoured, the Father be celebrated, and that the kingdom would come and transform the earth. And then, 
from such lofty heights as world regeneration. He says, and please don't forget my sandwiches. <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? The early church fathers used to spiritualise this. They used to say, this must have something to do with the word of God. Give us our daily bread. This must have something to do with communion. Uh, but actually the reformers, Calvin and Luther, both said, no, 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 it's not to do with any of that. It's to do with human need. Actually, the next three things that Jesus says to pray for are all the, the greatest human need. He says, give us what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. And that word, this day, is a very difficult word to translate because it's only found in this place. You can't compare it with any other place that it's used to work out what kind of context it's used in and what it means. It either means this day or tomorrow. The scholars aren't quite sure. But what it does mean is kind of now. Not like for the rest of my lifetime, not for the coming week. It just means today. It means I need you today. I have needs today. I have need of your help today. And it kind of harks back a little bit to manna in the desert where that was for one day. And if you collect too much, it's going to rot anyway. You've got to rely on God every single day to meet your needs. You are helpless without God. Do you know that? You can do nothing without him of any good. Um, and your heart only beats because he wills it to. Give us today what we need. And we're talking about bread. We're not talking about the luxuries of life. It's not give us today our daily Ferrari. It, <laughs> it, it, it's much more what we need, the necessities. And I, I don't know if Jesus spent time in his prayer life saying, Lord, this is what we need. We need this, we need that. We're going to have a crowd of people later. We're going to need to feed them. Oh, okay, boys pack lunch. Okay, remember that. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was that kind of thing or, or whether he was seeing that there was needs amongst the crowd, amongst his people. And he was saying, Lord, I'm encountering a lot of people who have, you know, who are demon-possessed. Lord, would you increase my anointing for that? I just... Lord, give us what we need today. Give us what I'm going to need to face the next crowd. Give me what I need when I'm, I'm questioned by the Pharisees and they want to trap me so that they can execute me. I know that now's not my time. Give me what I need to say. He had needs. He had pressing needs. At one point he had to pay a tax bill. And he told Peter to go and put his fishing line into the sea and pull out a fish and in the, in the fish's mouth would be a, a coin and that coin would be enough for his tax bill and Peter's as well. How he knew that, I don't know. I mean, wonderful way to pay your tax bill. <laughs> I, I, oh, that's one of my favourite stories in the New Testament because it is so day-to-day, -day, it is so boring paying your tax bill, isn't it? But God cares about that and he did it in such a funny way. I just love that. But maybe it, as part of his prayer life, he said, Lord... The Romans are going to come and, and, and demand tax from us in the next few days. I know they're coming. How are you going to do that? And God may have given him that picture of sending Peter off. But he's saying, give me today what I need. And so under this whole daily bread thing, it's covered everything. It's relationships. You need good relationships. You need people that are important to you in your life, that you can share your life with. You need people that are going to build you up, you can have fun with, you can have a laugh with. You need people that are going to fulfill that element of you, which is very human, which is to have good relationships. God knows that. It's to have food. For us, we don't fully, most of us don't fully appreciate what it is to live without food and to not know where your next meal is coming from. For some people, that is heaven on earth, to have bread every day. Because it's hell 
and they can't feed their kids. And so to have bread, to have food, to go to sleep with a full tummy is like heaven on earth. They, you can understand this scripture in, in a whole new way when, I believe, when you face that. I've had lack, but not to that level. But I, this, that very scripture, give me what I need today, has been very, very hand-to-mouth in the past and has been very alive in my prayer life and very real. And some of you may be going through that now where you're financially strapped for cash uh, and you have bills to pay, you have maybe shoes to buy for your kids or whatever and you just don't have enough money and it's a very, very real feeling and you are thrown upon God. And God says, just, that is fine, that is human. Human to say, I can't fix this, would you do it, Father? It doesn't matter what it is. Is there a funny noise going on in your car? And you think, this sounds like it might be expensive. I can't afford this right now, God. Do you know, I even think down to the parking space. Who's prayed for a parking space? Chris doesn't believe in praying for parking spaces. <laughs> but he did the other day and got one. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. I didn't ask you if I could say that. Thank you. Baloney nut. I don't think God minds us praying for parking spaces. It's quite a human thing to do, especially in Totnes. There's not enough of them around. But, but God, God wants us to give us the honest needs. Give him the honest needs. He wants us to share with him what we actually need, whether it's healing, that sore toe, whether it's um, a long-term condition that you just need release from because I've had enough of this thing. Whether it's a, a new job, a house move, a house sale, whatever it is, we can sometimes feel like we're going to God with our shopping list, can't we? And I believe the Father says, it's okay, come with your shopping list. Your shopping list is part of your prayer life. It has to be. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. That's what it means. It's the shopping list. And God says, that is fine. I know what you need even before you ask me. If you come asking for all kinds of things that you think I want you to pray about, and yet you've got your shopping list and that's what you really want, I'll know. So God says, be honest with me. Be honest with me. What do you want? Because, you know, sometimes by just sharing what we want, we are bringing out something of our hearts. God puts desires in us. The enemy puts desires in us as well. But actually by talking about them, we're laying it out on the table. And God can do something with it when we talk to him about it. And sometimes you can say, Lord, this is what's on my mind. This is what's on my heart. This is what I want. God can say, why do you want that? And you can start a conversation about it. And then God can say, actually, no, this is what you really want. It's just been redirected into this. And God can do some really amazing work in our hearts. And he can begin to get our attention over the things that matter in our inner world. Or sometimes you can say, God, this is what I want. This is, this is what I feel I need at the moment. And God says, exactly, that is what you need. That's what I've put into your heart. I'm going to provide this for you. God might even say, you've got to wait for a period of time and then you can be with him in the waiting. But all the time it's building relationship because it's based on honesty. God desires honesty from our prayer lives. It's okay to come with a shopping list if that's what you're carrying around with you. God's good enough and big enough to cope with that. So, give us this day our daily bread.
And that's us. That's all of us. And as Christians pray that, we can benefit from other people's faith saying, give us this day. Lord, they've prayed, give us this day. May I have this day, my daily bread. And as every time you pray, give us this day, our daily bread, you're also extending your faith over other people. Because we're all coming together as one body saying, give us what we need, Father, that we may be fit and healthy and able to do what you've called us to do. And forgive us our sins. Jesus wouldn't have prayed that in his own prayer life because he was without sin. But he did live in a sin-soaked world. And he knew that the, one of the greatest needs of human beings was to be cleansed of their sin. Sin is what blocks you off from God. Sin is what robs you of your joy. Sin is what causes you to go from this relationship with God where there is, it is unhindered, there is nothing between you, only favour and joy, down to a place where there is something between you and you are kept at a distance because you have a sin in your life that you won't relinquish. And Jesus says, you need a clean conscience. You need a clean conscience. You can't go on with rebellion in your heart because it separates you from God. You're one of your greatest needs is just to know every day in a very simple way that God has dealt with your sin and brought you through it today. One of the best things you can do for your prayer life is just to pray, God, forgive me my sin. Wash me clean again. I know that every day I fall short of your glory. And it's not, I, I don't even want to think about the gross sins you know, those things that we all know are wrong and that we hope nobody will catch us with, you know, that sort of stuff. I think even just failing to live in the kingdom the way that God called us to live in it, in the abundance, in the, in the, in the fullness of life in the kingdom, following hard after Jesus and enjoying him and reciprocating his love, even just not doing that is falling short. And we get sullied by the lifestyles that we lead, just by our wrong priorities even sometimes. And to come to God and say, God, cleanse me. Cleanse me from all the things that I've done, that I shouldn't have done, all the things that I haven't done that I should have done, all the ways that I've just not been able to live this life you've called me to live, that we're reading about in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, would you make me right with you? I want to know that when I come into your presence, Everything is okay between us. And I don't have to carry any worry or guilt or intimidation. Are you unintimidated before God? If you feel intimidated before God, if you feel like there must be something that he sees that I don't, that he hasn't forgiven me for, ask God just to cleanse you of your sin. Ask him to show you if there's anything specific you need to repent of. But otherwise, trust him that he will cover your sin completely. anyway, even if you don't know about it. And come to him with the joy of knowing that all is well between you and God. That is a key to your prayer life. That's how Jesus called us to pray. Forgive us our sin. And it says, almost like, as of course, even in saying that, I must forgive those who sin against me. Because we can't do one without the other. You can't hold, enter into a grace relationship with God where you know all is well and then hold something against somebody else. Hold them to ransom for the thing they did to you. It's just not kingdom life. It just doesn't work. You either live in one way or the other. 
And so at that point, God may show you people you've got to release. Worth doing. It leaves you clean. It leaves you full of joy. What's the catch? Worth doing. <coughs> forgive us our sins. Let us come close as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, I found that really confusing. Lead us not into temptation. When I was a kid, and we used to have to say this in school, I thought, why on earth would God lead me into temptation? The I kind of made the assumption was, this is, we should pray this, otherwise God will set traps for us. Almost like, you led me into temptation yesterday, so today, please Lord, can you not lead me there, because I find it really difficult. And that's kind of how I read it, but it doesn't mean that. It means strengthen us so that we are not led into temptation. Let us not succumb to the temptation that will inevitably come. Lead us so that we don't fall into temptation, but we stay strong. That is a great human need. We all suffer temptations. Jesus suffered temptation, so he would have prayed this. Lord, strengthen me because I don't want to fall to the left or to the right. I don't want to be pushed into what people say, who, who people say that I am or how the kingdom will come. I want to walk your line absolutely dead straight and I don't want to be distracted. Temptations come. Distractions come. There, was, there are temptations that will come that will rob you of your destiny that you have in God that will prevent you from being able to fulfill all that you're on the planet for. Temptations are daily. And Jesus said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that you won't be distracted that you won't be derailed, you won't fall off the wagon. There's too much at stake in your life and what God wants to do with you to be succumbing to all kinds of silly temptations. So Jesus said, strengthen me. Let me know. When it comes, let me know what it is and let me have the power to resist it. When there are two things that really help with resisting temptation. This is just a little side thought I'm throwing in. Two things that will help with resisting temptation. And one of them is being able to name what it is and to see it as a temptation and to say, actually, this is, this is not for me. This is not right. Because while we're still entertaining the fact that it might be okay, we're on a bit of a losing battle, whatever it is. And the other thing is to have a vision of your life that you know where you're going, and so you can identify that this is inconsistent where my life is going. A clear kingdom vision for your life of what it looks like to live in the way that God's called you to. Once heard, I mentioned Charles Tumwini uh, back in September, amazing guy, only here once, still remembered almost everything he said. And one of the points of his sermon was, he said that he, he went to the home of a champion, he was a Kenyan long-distance runner. And he said he went to the home of this champion and there was a banquet laid out at this champion's home. And they were all gathered around. I think it was like a sort of pastor's thing. And they were all tucking in. He said, the beautiful food. He, he was a Ugandan. The beautiful food. There was chicken and there was all kinds of fish and beautiful things laid out on the table. And he said, we were all eating and I look over and I see the champion. And he has maybe taken one piece of meat and, and one other small thing. And I was wondering about this. I got to the end of the meal, and in the end, I could not stand it. I said, why are you not eating? <laughs> I 
loved his accent. He said, I will never forget what he said unto me. He looked me in the eyes and he said, if I eat what you eat, I cannot do what I do. I love that. The Kenyan runner had a clear vision for his life of what he was on the planet to do. He wanted to achieve it. And therefore, he had to say no to things that other, would be perfectly fine for other people. He had to streamline his life to be able to do what he was on the planet to do. There are things in your life that are a temptation that are fine for other people. They're not outwardly sinful, but because God has asked you to refrain from them, it's sinful if you do them. <coughs> because you are dropping away from God's standard for your life. It might be too much telling. It, I don't know what, it, there could be any number of things. I'm not going to go pick things out of the air. Whatever. Be sensitive as to how God has called you to live your life. Because when you're clear about what, how God wants you to live, it's easy to say no to the things that are going to rob you from fulfilling it. Amen? Amen. Let's be sensitive. Lead us not into temptation. Let us not fall at those hurdles that come our way. But deliver us from the evil one. Jesus prayed, deliver us from the evil one. He knew that there is a power at work in this world that is set to rob you, to destroy you, to kill you, to, to take everything that God has for you. He's always working to try and trip you up. He's always working to try and trip me up. And Jesus said, deliver us. Deliver us. At those moments where it's, it's all going to go horribly wrong, would you step in, God? Would you give us your angels? Would you give us your provision? Would you protect us in unseen ways and in seen ways? Because we want to be able to fulfill what you have for us. We want to be able to bring you as much glory as possible in this lifetime. Jesus said, those are the things that are important. That's Christian prayer in a nutshell. And it's short, and it's sweet, and it's simple, and it's relational. It's absolutely saturated with trust in God. If you want to learn to pray with Jesus, those are the things you need to look at. He didn't just give us a blueprint. He gave us a window into his soul. He gave us a window into his prayer life. He showed us what was important to him. Jesus can teach us to pray every day. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you acknowledging that we don't always have everything sewn up in prayer. We all have our L plates on. There are some times when we ignore you and we let the distractions of life get too big and it can draw us away. There are some times that sin trips us up. There are times that our needs feel so great or so unmet that it can make us feel distant. There are times that we forget that you're a good father. There are times that we can fall into analysing our own prayer and babbling, just feeling like we need to say lots of things in order to get the job done. All these ridiculous things. When you have said, come to me and pray simply, pray like this. You have given us a place before you, Father, which is privileged. 
You've promised you will, be our, you will be the faithful one. You will be the one who will understand everything there is to know about our lives. And you want us to pray with dependence and, and adoration for who you are as Father who is over all. Father, would you lead each person here deeper in our prayer lives? Lord, we know how important this is. And Lord, where we've got it wrong, we ask that you would just put us back on the straight path. You would remove the obstacles that we have placed there or that we have encountered there in the place of prayer. And I pray that every person here this morning would just have unhindered access to you in prayer. I pray that our prayer lives would be a joy. Pour out your joy on our prayer lives again. Pour out your freedom on our prayer lives again. I pray that we would all enjoy time spent alone with you. Lord, as we seek to honour you, as we seek to celebrate you, as we pause in the day and just allow our, the affections of our heart to go to you over the amazing way that you have made this world and the amazing gifts that you give us and the ways that you speak to us and the way that you live. Lord, I pray that our hearts would soar with you. I pray that you would share your kingdom agenda with us. Lord, if people are unclear about what their lives are about, about where it's all going, I pray that you would, you would just bring some clarity. I pray that you would speak to us so that we might know what the next season, or even just today, is about. Lord God. And then I pray that all of those shopping lists, all of those needs, would just find a happy place of being shared with you in prayer. Just remove all guilt. The way the enemy gets to us, Father, and makes us feel guilty for getting it wrong. You've never asked us to do that. So I just pray you just remove guilt now and resentment about prayer lives, Lord, and our, our relationship with you. And I pray you just renew it now. You just renew the relationship. Call us in again. Call us close again. Let us come in. Forgive us of our sin, I pray. Lord, for those people here that are weighed down with sin and are feeling like just awful before you, Father, would you come in the way that only you can and cleanse us? Cleanse us all. If you just want to reach out to God now, if you're feeling weighed down by sin and you feel distant from God and disqualified from his grace, I just want to encourage you to reach out now because God's kindness leads you to repentance. Mm. God wants to wash you and clean you and put you back on your feet and when he does that, it's very easy to then to turn and to live in his world and his way. Receive the grace of God now because it is a kind, free gift from a great Father. Lord, thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for perfect standing before you and your smile over our lives, Lord God. Lord, and would you please strengthen us to be able to resist the things that would derail us from the life that you would have us to live. Lord, may we be strong in spirit and strong in faith. And may we be overcomers, even as we've, we've sung this morning. May we be conquerors yeah. 
over the things that are set against us in you. We are more than conquerors in Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We will be defiant in your name. Lord, give us that steely face to be able to face anything with you and make strong decisions. Because what you have for us is better than anything the enemy could offer. Lord, we say we love you. And we yield to your spirit's work in the area of our prayer lives. For your glory. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to share communion together <coughs> from this place of prayer. Because the Lord wanted to bring us close to him. And he has made the way. He's made the way for us to come. His body was broken. And as he did that, as he spilt his blood and it cost him everything, what happened to the, the curtain in the temple? It was torn in two. The way was opened and we can come. Everything that we've been talking about in the last 40 minutes or so has been because of what Jesus has done. So we mark that right now by sharing communion. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it in front of his disciples. He said, take it and eat it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. We've got to remember Christ. So as we come to communion now, let's just come understanding that Jesus would have us pray in a profound and simple way. And let's ask, be asking God to be able to do something in us, to be able to take us forward in prayer. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward. We want to know him better. So as Jesus opens the way for us to come through, let's step through now as we take communion. Let's just step through into all that God has for us and let him bless our prayer lives. Amen? Amen. So if I could have some help, if I could have some servers come up. And if the band could come up quite soon. We're going to share communion together. And then as we spend a few moments in worship, if anyone would just like a little bit of help, a little bit of prayer, to do with this whole 